is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein, Rod Rosenstein, um, should have just said, we think this guy is a sleaze. There must be something there. And now we have Manafort and 17 very talented prosecutors who, <laughs> who are also liberal Democrats just searching for crimes of anyone around Donald Trump. You know, the, the, the whole thing raises more suspicion that the FBI politicized uh, these investigations during the election and it just begs for an outside independent prosecutor to go back through this evidence uh, through, through these emails and see if the FBI was trying to cover up material evidence in this case. To, to me the headline would be Manafort convicted of a bunch of stuff that have nothing to do with Russian collusion. It should be an onion headline, <laughs> right? Two year investigation and tons of resources and tons of money reveals white collar people shady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now Stacy Washington. All right. Welcome back to the show. This we're going to be speaking with Carmen, Grammy Award-winning Christian music artist. He sold 10 million-plus albums in his career. He's going to be coming on and talking about his upcoming free concert tour and why he's not selling tickets to it, why he's not taking offerings at this uh, tour. And so we're excited to speak with him. And right now, we're going to talk about the other breaking news from this week that is kind of, it's like people are, are just, I mean, who's shocked by this? I remember thinking... Cast your mind back. Uh, it's the discovery of all of these extra Hillary Clinton emails that are on this laptop. 679,000, I think. And you've got Comey, who is then the director of the FBI. He's made this announcement that they're reopening the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email. Now, you know he received such huge backlash after that. So less than eight days later, they come back and they say, oh, I think it was like three or four days later. We're done. We, we've looked at all of the emails. We used a special email program, a, a program that was able to allow us to review all of these emails. Just we were able to quickly go through all of them. We did 12-hour shifts, 24 hours a day, and here we are four days later. It's done. Nothing to see here. Well, now it turns out that he lied to us, which calls into question his credibility yet again, and he lied to us. Because they didn't look at even uh, 1% of them. They looked at around 3,000 emails. And there was a glitch that prevented them from looking at all of them using some program. But that's, that's not even the point here. I don't believe very many Americans heard that and said, oh, yeah, they were able to look at all the emails because they have special computer stuff. Nobody believed that. That's why she had such a dent in the poll numbers. So you've got Real Clear Investigations uh, did a look at this. They're, they're the ones who are breaking this news story. And it's Paul Sperry. He works at Real Clear Investigations. He says most emails on the Wiener laptop were never examined. James Comey told Congress that they had reviewed all of the Clinton emails, hundreds of thousands uh, that were found on the Wiener laptop. But that was not true. Uh, they barely looked at any of them. Uh, just 3,000 out of 700,000 were actually individually examined. Wait, 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 wait. They looked at how many? 3,000 out of uh, potentially relevant 700,000 emails were actually individually examined 
for classified information and incriminating evidence. So not only did he lie, but all of that email, all of that content that should have been gone over resulting in an investigation, nothing. Poof. No big deal. We have to get back to investigating Trump. We have to get back to ensuring we have an insurance policy against this man actually being the president for four years. So Paul Sperry goes on to talk about how this computer glitch prevented this vaunted email program from actually doing its thing. I was just going to mention that Peter Strzok, the disgraced uh, agent who was uh, in charge of this mid-year investigation of Clinton emails, he actually personally handpicked that 3,000 sample. And with two other investigators, they went through them all, supposedly, uh, and pulled an all-nighter, ordered pizza, and said, nothing new here. Uh, case closed once again. He also uh, swore under oath that he had this story that there was this uh, miraculous breakthrough in technology uh, that allowed the FBI to um, uh, process the, the Wiener laptop for evidence uh, rapidly. And turns out that doesn't pass the smell test. That didn't check out either. It turns out there was a technical glitch that thwarted that effort. And I was going to say, I was going to mention that, uh, Jason, that when, when you were on oversight, you were probably wondering the same thing. How, how in the world could they get through this mountain of evidence in just days when, after Comey gave you the, the final all clear on Hillary? I mean, so the all clear was fake. It was no all clear. She never should have run for the presidency. But she did so to prevent them from prosecuting her for this email. When she said, the future is female and this is my destiny and I feel like I was born to be the president of the United States, what she meant was, my future is an orange jumpsuit if I don't keep the political pressure on these neophytes, all of these uh, suck-ups, these people who their, their entire lives revolve around worshiping the Clinton dynasty they won't worship me so much anymore if they find out that 700,000 or so of my emails are on a laptop owned by someone who's been convicted of basically pedophilia. No, no, no. I can't have that happen. I've got to run for the presidency. I've got to have this campaign. I'm, in fact, why shouldn't I just be president? It's not just about running, but the running will insulate me from prosecution. We had a guest on that talked about this. You guys remember... Uh, Hollywood guy who's written about this extensively wrote a column about how the Clintons will never go away because the minute they stop running and stop working in politics and raising money is the minute that people realize they should really be in jail. So here she is running the biggest scam of all time, a scam on the American people to prevent herself from being prosecuted. And it worked. It literally worked because you have people in the FBI like James Comey and others actually doing everything they can to protect her because they think she's going to be the president of the United States. If she hadn't been running, they would have said, oh man, 700,000 emails. They also would have been the ones to discover instead of the daily caller news foundation uncovering the information, it would have been the FBI who found out that the Chinese had uh, copies of every single communication she made as a secretary of state. It's a situation that really makes you wonder what they're doing. What is the FBI doing exactly? 
they're not doing their jobs. Honestly, what's the point of, of the whole thing? So I, I believe we have a caller. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Malcolm from Florida. Hey, thanks for calling the American Family Radio Network and Urban Family Talk. Oh, he dropped out. So sorry about that. If you want to call back in, please do 866-963-2037. It's a, it's a situation that makes it very difficult for us to trust anything that they say. The dereliction on all of the different investigations. They let the Pulse night sh- nightclub shooter go. They let um, the, the guy who did the shooting at the, the Texas, it was, it was a workplace violence, according to Barack Obama, but it was this Muslim guy who shot up his workplace and he was on active duty in the military down in Texas. They let him go. He'd been reported. The guy in, I believe it was the Northwest, he shot up his Christmas party at work. His wife had, he was already radicalized, went overseas to the Middle East and picked up, you know, an Islamic jihad bride, brought her back to the United States. She further radicalized him and he shot up a Christmas party at work. These are terroristic incidences that didn't have to occur. Acts of terrorism, they didn't have to happen had the FBI doing it, been doing its work. If they had done what they were supposed to do, their mandate, these things wouldn't have happened. And it's the same thing with this investigation into Donald Trump. It's not only is there no there there, there's no legs, there's no feet, there's no hands, there's, there's nothing to implicate the president in anything other than winning an election by focusing on winning states to win the electoral college. In other words, actually accurately assessing what the game was. Isn't it something if you go into a pro- poker game and you're playing Uno and you don't win the poker game, you lose all your money? It would be because you were playing Uno. You might have actually had a chance at winning the poker game had you actually played poker. Hillary Clinton was trying to win the popular vote. She stopped campaigning. She didn't visit some of the battleground states that were, according to polling, already hers. But she should have known they'd be close because Donald Trump had record-breaking crowds at all of his gatherings. He's still doing that. He's still going around the country when he has a rally. It's still packed to the gills. What people want to focus on is how the media are being treated back on the stand, not on how, how absolutely large, rabidly large those crowds are. They're energized. So it doesn't mean we can, you know, people have to go out and vote. You can't take anything for granted. But the fact is, people, are, media types are not looking at what's happening in this country with clear eyes. They're convinced that, Well, I had someone tweet me today, Donald Trump is a liar. He's told 2,300 lies or something like that. And then they had a link to a Washington Post story. Okay, so who believes the Washington Post on whether or not the president has told the truth? Not I. You know, I mean, just saying. You You can say whatever you want. All right. Oh, Malcolm from Florida called back. Malcolm, thank you so much for calling the show. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Okay, I wanted to talk about, because you touched on this earlier, Michael Cohen's lawyer, mm-hmm. who pretty mm-hmm. much admitted that the entire, the entire fiasco of Donald Trump knowing that there was a meeting at his tower, he pretty much admitted that this was BS. But what was really getting me is that CNN is actually proud and proudly saying how this they don't care if it's real or fake. They're going to stick behind it. 
So my thing is, you know, the Jim Acosta's of the world don't want us to call them fake news, but how could you not if they're going to go with the fake that they know the story isn't real, and yet they're still going behind it. So how do we trust them? Well, I don't, I, I don't trust them. I don't trust them. And, and I just encourage people, you know, this, this, is, this is a situation where if, if we didn't know all of this, if, the, if these facts weren't readily available to us, Malcolm, then we would, you know, hey, it would be not a big deal to believe what you're saying in the news. But we now know that almost the entire news apparatus in this country is all in the tank for the Democrats and for Hillary Clinton. So anything that you hear about the president or about Hillary Clinton has to be suspect. And, and then that kind of trickles down. They're also in the tank for Planned Parenthood. They're in the tank for, um, they, well, they were in the tank for the Russians until they hated them because Hillary Clinton told them to. They're in the tank for anti-American interests, for socialists. It gives us kind of a, a thing that we're, we're facing as Americans where you really have to search out your own news or you, or you have to trust large Christian organizations like American Family Radio. And even then, I, I never ask anybody to call in or listen to the show, and that's it. You still need to be reading your own news sources and testing it for yourself so that you can be absolutely certain. I just... Uh, it's just disturbing that no one has, a, you know, kind of a conscience where they're like, wow, I can't, you know, this baby part thing. I mean, I was pro-choice, but this baby part thing, I can't get behind that. There's just no low that people are willing to draw a line at and say, okay, that's too far for me. And that's too bad. Thank you so much for calling the show. Um, I, it's, it's not okay. It's not okay. And we have options uh, as to what we can do. And we talked about that a little bit yesterday on the show when we were talking about fasting. Um, and, and I know I had a couple of people say, oh, thank you so much for that. And then what kind of fasting? Now, the Bible talks about fasting where there's no water, no food at all. And you can do that for half a day, a whole day, three days, 21 days, 40 days, whatever you feel led to do. But you can also fast. I, you know, one of the toughest ones I used to do that's not tough anymore is I would fast television and social media, one or the other or both. Woo, it'll show you how much you're tethered to it. Fasting alcohol if you drink, fasting um, just food and just drinking only water. These, are, these all count. All right, we'll be right back with more after this. Stay there. When I first found out I was pregnant, I was surrounded by fear and disbelief. My boyfriend told me at the time to, to get an abortion. There was no negotiating. This is the story of a young lady who decided to keep her baby after hearing her baby's beautiful heartbeat on ultrasound. The Ministry of Preborn provides ultrasounds for pregnancy centers across America for free. When an abortion-minded woman hears her baby's heartbeat on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. My son Rent turned five months this week, and, and even though there, there are still uncertainties in my life, the one thing I know is I get to watch him grow. Your gift of $140 will cover the cost of five ultrasounds. All donations are tax deductible. To donate, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby.
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. A recent post on redstate.com by someone with the identifier Surgeon67 caught my attention. It provides four important critiques of the current attempt to promote a single-payer, government-run health care plan using the title Medicare for All. The four points are regulations, rationing, cost, and right to health care. The discussion of regulation starts with this question. Have you ever seen a government program that didn't come with a stack of regulations that would make war and peace seem like a birthday card rhyme? Government money comes with strings, and there isn't any evidence that all of those rules and regulations make the delivery of health care better. Rationing is certainly going to be part of a government-run program since the primary task will be to reduce cost. But if someone else is paying for it, you'll be less likely to cut costs. The only way that the government can keep down cost is to institute guidelines that explain who can qualify for those expensive medical tests. What about cost? One study estimates that Medicare for All will cost an additional $32 trillion over 10 years. Here is a simple request listed in the article. Tell me one government program that costs less than or equal to projections. No, take your time. I'll wait. It's possible that even that estimate is off by perhaps a factor of two. The fourth point is the so-called right to health care. The surgeon says, I have never personally seen anyone denied care for anything life-threatening because they weren't covered. If someone had a ruptured spleen, we don't wait until the visa card clears before we fix it, and we don't call Blue Cross for pre-certification. Medicare for All sounds nice until you begin to look into the details and what it will mean for you and your family. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We are back. Head over to AFR.net and also UrbanFamilyTalk.com. And check us out. We are doing fun things. We're so happy to have just the the whole conversation going today. And, you know, there's another kind of breaking story. Again, I mean, so you've got um, the Cohen lawyer admitting he was the source for CNN's Trump Tower story and lied about it on the air. And then you have this. FBI officials saying that the Bureau leaked stories, then used them to get FISA warrants and the media duping Americans with these so-called anonymously sourced stories, which now at this point, when I see it says it's an anonymous source, that used to be something that, you know, it would trigger intrigue and you'd read the story and think, wow, this is interesting. Now, when I see it, I'm like, oh, just uh, just another pack of lies. I don't trust it at all. Not at all. Um, I mean, I just don't trust it. Um, so this next story is the same, same, same old, same old. They're leaking these stories. You've got new information suggesting our suspicions are true. FBI and DOJ have previously leaked info to the press, then used those same press stories as a separate source to justify FISA applications. Unreal. Tomorrow's Bruce Orr interview is even more critical. Did he ever do this? This is House Freedom Caucus Chairman Mark Meadows. He's a Republican in the House. That doesn't mean that he's above reproach, but he's definitely someone who he has access to classified information. 
The claim stems in part from FBI intelligence analyst Jonathan Maffa's Friday testimony behind closed doors before the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees. So these FISA warrants have got to be, they've got to be, there's something got to be done about them because they're not even, they're not even using them in a way that's above board. Not at all. They just, they're not. Um, They're just using them to get whatever they want. If they want a FISA warrant, they leak a story to the press. Just imagine you leak something to the press. It doesn't even have to be true. You could just make it up. Then you use that press story to get a FISA warrant on someone that you might want to investigate, whether you have the right to investigate them or not. A source with knowledge of the testimony initially told Fox News that Moffa said FBI personnel would use media reports based on information they leaked to justify applications for Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act warrants. Echoing Meadows. The source said Moffa, who worked with controversial FBI officials, um, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, acknowledged that this had been the practice in the past. So... This is the practice. This is what they do. An FBI official pushed back telling Fox News the initial claims about Maffa's testimony were incorrect. The source later clarified that Maffa testified the FBI routinely uses media material to corroborate their work product, including FISA materials, but never said directly we utilize FBI leaks for FISAs. The source maintained, however, that the FBI has a culture of leaking for their own gain and uses media reports to support their work. There's quite a bit of evidence raising concerns that the FBI engages in this without Maffa saying it. I mean, this is stunning. Republicans have long questioned to what extent leaked information related to the unverified anti-Trump dossier was used as a basis for surveillance warrants against former Trump advisor Carter Page in 2016. This is when the Bureau was led by James Comey and Deputy Andrew McCabe, which coincidentally, McCabe fired, Comey fired, who else was getting, you know, prepping and, and providing these FISA warrant applications? Uh, Strzok fired. Page, she separated herself, but she would have been fired too. So there's a more nuanced version of events provided by another source, and this is on Fox News. The source said to Fox News that Mafa claims the FBI keeps track of open source reports related to their cases. When asked whether a FISA application would reference a news account, he said it could be possible, hypothetically, but the FBI aims to find better information. So he aims, they aim to find better information. They aim to find. Are you with me in thinking that's just not good enough? It's the FBI. They aim to find better. How about if they just find information that is sourced and credible and without it, they don't get it. No FISA application. Simply do not apply for a FISA application if you don't have the highest level of confidence in the information that you're presenting. These judges are like rubber stamp, uh, you know, empty headed people. They're sitting there just approving these FISA applications based on well, we think we have this, and then here's a couple of news stories about it. By the way, some of the people who are reporting these news stories, like that one's my girlfriend or that's one that I had a relationship with, 
remember, remember the incestuous nature of some of these news reporters and um, the FBI. Some of these agents are, are, are literally in relationships with these reporters. So Meadows also told Fox News' America's newsroom earlier Tuesday that the committee had evidence of the FBI's practice that would be hard to refute. We know that some people at the Department of Justice and the FBI actually gave information to the media when the stories were reported. Then they used those reports to justify further investigations. You know, it's like saying we're going to incriminate on one hand and be the jury on the other. But it just doesn't work that way. Okay, so we have our guest. Um, our next guest is Carmen, Grammy award-winning Christian music artist. Carmen, thanks for joining the show today. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here. Great. So, um, you have an upcoming free concert tour. Can you tell us about it? Well, let's see. Um, we're probably doing about 40 cities and, uh, we're doing something that I used to do a long time ago, which is opening up the doors and uh, letting anybody come in who wants to come in, and uh, in, in the you know it's a, it's a definitely a, a venture of faith. I'm working with uh, feed the children, so instead of taking offerings, I'll be uh, helping to get sponsorships for uh, children who have no water and food and hospitalization and things like that. So uh, it just seems like the right thing to do, and I kind of always go with. Whatever I feel is the right thing to do, and it seems like it always works out. Okay. So pivoting over to the current cultural and political climate, um, you have some thoughts on how Christians can manage our lives in, in, within that current sphere? Well, I, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't think it's ever been this uh, antagonistic, you know, um, because I've lived through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and everything in between, and um, I've never seen it where it's so, um, um, you know, us against them, even on a personal level, at the, at the kitchen table, or at the grocery store. I've lost a lot of friends uh, just in discussions uh, over, this, uh, over this election, just even talking about it. You know, it just creates such antagonism. And the only thing I could say is, is I would I would steer back to uh, to the scripture that says if your coat offends your brother, just take it off. What's the big deal? You know, if if a certain conversation leads to a certain offense, no matter what it is, or no matter how right you feel, or how how strongly you feel about your particular position, if that if that thing will offend somebody, then just delete it. Don't go there. Um, avoid it. And if they try to you know, push you for your response, just do the best you can to avoid it and, and, and treat all people as you would want to be treated yourself. Because I don't think that you're going to get into a conversation with someone on the opposing side where it's going to really turn out so well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. In this um, particular climate, anyway. Well, that's true. And I, I have to say, I'm, you're, you're describing how you just avoid the subject. And I recently said the same thing to someone who asked me, how do you deal with the, the, the dynamic with families where family members, you know, they're politically opposite of you. They really hate the president and they want to talk about it all the time. 
And I said, it's not worth it for the relationship to keep talking about it because you'll never convince them and they'll never convince you. So just don't talk about it. Right. But it's really hard, Carmen, not to talk about it when the person that's your family member constantly brings it up and constantly lobs attacks at Donald Trump and Trump supporters and calls Trump supporters racist. And, you know, it's 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 like you at some point you just want to say, look, stop it. That's not true. And then that's when you get into a big, long, protracted argument about it. Right. Now, it's and it's obvious that um, President Trump is, uh, you know, he says things that, you know, just causes all sorts of people to uh, the, the back of their hair, the hair on the back of their neck stand up, you know. But he's not a, he didn't come in as a politician, so he doesn't have that embedded rhetoric in his system on how to answer certain questions. I mean, this is a guy that spent most of his time in construction, so <laughs> like a construction worker sometimes. You know, he says things like a construction worker would say. But most of America is thinking something, and he just comes out and says it. Now, in, in the political content, that, you know, that can be devastated because you're weighed by every little word you say. So... People can build doctrines around a phrase where most of America is looking for someone that is going to not say something right, but do something right. You know, so they can, they're, fo- they're, re- they're unfocusing on the things that he says that are not like Obama would say it or mm-hmm. the, right. you know, the eloqu- <laughs> eloquence of what he would say, but they want to see what he does. You know, and that's what they voted in. They didn't want a politician anymore because we didn't trust the politicians. And uh, so, I mean, I, I think he is 100% of who you thought he'd be. <laughs> I don't think he's changed at all. I, 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 don't, I think he's adjusted a few things to try to accommodate, but he's 70-plus years old. I mean, who changes that much when you're past 50? <laughs> Thanks. Because you know what, Carmen? I said that right right after the inauguration. He tweeted something out and people were just losing their minds. And I said, I just don't think he's going to change and stop tweeting. Um, and I don't think he's going to change the tenor of his tweets. I, I wish he would tweet, you know, I can't change what he's already tweeting, but I wish he would add in more policy things like when Jeff Sessions increased prosecutions of individuals who were felons, who were repeat offending with guns, and he increased prosecutions of that by like 300 and some percent, and he was literally jailing bad guys faster than the, the DOJ could arraign them and convict them. They were just getting these people off the streets, and it's a huge turnaround from what the Obama administration was doing. I wrote a story about it, and I thought, you know what would be great? If President Trump talked about this in Twitter, if he said, by the way, Americans are safer because Jeff Sessions is now increased gun prosecutions by this percentage. And oh, by the way, you know, I don't like that one's hair or whatever it is that he's tweeting about. That'd be fantastic. But he he tends to just do what he's always done, which is a lot of flame throwing on Twitter. And he's not going to stop doing that. Seventy one year old people don't usually make huge about faces in their lives. Um, just because other people don't like what they're doing. No, and that is how he got his audience in the first place. So that is by saying things no one else would say or think or think to say or dare to say. And he has followed that all the way down the line. 
I, I believe that um, he sounds more like the American public on the way they would say something, um, aside from the coasts, of course, but or what you would think to say, or wish you, well, I wish somebody would just say this. And he just says it. And you're like, did he just say that? And, and we're like shocked that he would say the things that we're thinking about sitting in our living room, you know. And, um, and I think people like the fact that we can hear what he's saying real time. I mean, what was it? I mean, you can, we find these tapes from the Kennedy era, the lost tapes of JFK, and they're all about his conversations, you know, with different people and who he was mad with, who he was chick with. Um, and it sounds like he sounds like he's talking just like a real guy, you know? And like, I never heard JFK talk like this. However, if JFK would have tweeted those thoughts at the time he was thinking them at that very moment, this guy's a jerk. What is he nuts? Is he crazy? If he would say those things in real time, it would be very similar to like what we would hear like Trump would say. But Trump doesn't have that political status. He doesn't have that political polish. He's never been a politician. He wasn't groomed for it. And um, so this is the first time in history we're actually hearing what a president is thinking and saying and thinking in his innermost thoughts what he really feels in real time as he thinks it, as he says it. We've never had that before. And I, I think America loves it, good or bad. They love the, the openness and the unpredictic, unpredictability of it. To a point, he's unpredictable. You know, um, you kind of can predict he's going to say he's going to say what he's thinking, and that is just intoxicating for most people because you never really know what the politicians are really thinking by what they say. I so think this it's is kind refreshing. Of, yeah, I agree with you. It's it's totally refreshing, and it's. It's something that I think the media just needs to get used to because it's not going to change. Carmen, thank you so much. Uh, upcoming free concert tour, all those locations. Looking forward to it. Grammy Award winning Christian music That's artist. It. Thank you for being here today. They can just go to CarmenTour.com. It's all there. CarmenTour.com. All right. Thank you so much. We'll be back with more right after this. take to live an uncommon life. Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Michael Westbrook was a gifted wide receiver for the Washington Redskins and Cincinnati Bengals during an eight-year NFL career. He had succeeded at every level of football. Then at a relatively young age of 30, he retired and became active in mixed martial arts. Why? Because apparently he never even liked football but felt he needed to play because it was expected of him. Many of us have experienced the expectations of others, but God made you the unique person you are. If your dreams develop in the process of seeking God's will and fit within his purposes, follow them. He wouldn't have given them to you if they were not important. Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. 
Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. My name's Rodney. I've known about Teen Challenge a long time, but I wasted five more years drinking before I admitted that I needed this program. But here, I'm sober, and I learned it's never too late to turn things around. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Y'all have encouraged us to go out, stand for the Word of God, stand politically. It's truly a blessing to hear how God is using Urban Family Talk just want to say I love everything that Urban Family does. Will you take a moment to share your story? Call 877-327-5647. That's 877-327-5647. Thanks. Donald Trump's America. President Trump says the U.S. has reached a new trade deal with Mexico, announcing what he called the United States-Mexico Trade Agreement. In the Oval Office, the president said he intends to put an end to the 24-year-old North American Free Trade Agreement. I'll be terminating uh, the existing deal and going into this deal. The president said he wants to get rid of the name NAFTA because he believes it has bad connotations. The Mexican president, speaking through a translator on speakerphone, congratulated the negotiators on both sides and expressed hope that Canada will sign on to a trade agreement. President Trump put the screws on Canada, saying, One way or the other, we have a deal with Canada. It'll either be a tariff on cars or it'll be a negotiated deal. President Trump says it's possible a separate agreement could be worked out with Canada. Any new trade deal would need approval from Congress. The president has long been critical of NAFTA and has called it a job-killing disaster. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, the Senate has a much different map, and the map that they're playing is a much better map. House has a history against them where the party in power normally lose seats, meaning the party that has the White House. But there's two times that's been different. When you look at what this election is going to be about, it's going to be about results versus resistance. Pelosi's resistance. And look at what results we have economically. The last time there was a party in power that had economic growth at 4%, they actually gained seats. But take this one statistic. In the last 49 years of America, unemployment has only been below 4% eight months. Eight months and 49 years. Wow. But three of those eight months were this year. Wow. Three of those eight months were just in this year. So the economy is roaring. And we need to be not only grateful about that, but we need to be working to ensure that we can maintain that type of growth because it pulls people out of poverty. An economy where there are a ton of jobs available and people have a lot of upward mobility, if it keeps up, if it keeps going, then individuals who are currently in jobs where they like, uh, they might like their job, but they need an opportunity to advance. And their skills are good and their, their work history is good. And now they're, they're looking at their work and they're saying, wow, I've been here a couple years. I've been here a while, whatever the, whatever the number is. And this is a great opportunity, but I might, I might need to cast out my net and see if I, can, if I can move up. And that is when, if they find something, you know, in that, that moment where you go in and you say to your boss, 
I'm going to go ahead and, and, you know, submit my, my resignation. I found another opportunity and it's been such a pleasure to work here. And, uh, you know, I hate to go, but I just, I need to, I need to branch up. That's when their boss might say, oh, wow, you know, we, we can't lose you. What can we do? What, why don't we promote you here? Well, why don't we give you a promotion and some job training? Or why don't we offer you, you know, certain amount of reimbursement, tuition reimbursement for something? And that, that can be a very exciting time for employees. Imagine that happening tens of thousands of times here in America because the economy is good and people will want to keep those employees. I know we had a Washington Post writer on the same day that we spoke with uh, the president's son, Eric Trump, and we were talking about you know, employers right now, wages are not seeing the same uptick as the economy is seeing. But it takes time for that uptick in the economy and the increase in profitability for that to settle into a business where a business owner says, okay, wow, I really have some breathing room here. It's not just one month's worth of breathing room. I now can see six months out, 12 months out. I'm now planning the way I've always dreamed of planning. I need to do something to stabilize my workforce. I need to make sure that these good people who are creating this environment for me who are, you know, contributing to this, that I can hold them here. So I need to, instead of doing our standard, you know, 1.7% raise or whatever it is, I need to look at bumping that up this year to reflect what we've been able to do profit wise. Most businesses have a plan for that. They, they have every five years or so they'll have salary. um, They have a company come in and take the temperature of the salaries of all of the employees in that same industry to see if their salaries are on par, below, or above. And then if they're below, they create a plan to increase those salaries to make sure that they're at the market rate. It, it, is, it is a lie that employers don't consider the, what they're paying their employees. People do look at that. Employers do look at that. Businesses that don't do that lose their best employees and they eventually lose market share and they're not able to maintain uh, you know, a viable business. It is so important for us to not be looking at each other as, well, that's just a business owner. It's an evil person who's trying to rake you know, employees over the coals. And I, I know for a fact, business owners don't look at employees that way. They, they don't have favorable views of bad employees but they do see their employees as valuable resources. And so it's wrong for us to, you know, if you're an employee of anybody, um, it's wrong for you to have that attitude towards employers. If you happen to be working for someone who doesn't value your work, this is that economy in which you can find that next step for yourself in your work life where you can get into a workplace where you're, you're working for someone that has a more favorable view towards you. And sometimes, you know how it is when you're working somewhere and, and maybe you've made a mistake or two and you've, you've pulled out of that and, you, and you've turned everything around and you're, and you're great, but maybe you feel like there's still some stigma of that hanging around. You know, this, that's an opportunity for you to grow and to trust God, to really say, you know, Lord, I'm, I, I, I wasn't the best during this rough patch of my life or I made a couple of errors and everyone makes mistakes, but am I still supposed to be here? Or is there something else that you have for me? And start praying about that and continue to work well. Um, and, and, you know, make so that you know that your reference will be good. And then this is just the economy for moving around. And so if you're in a great place and you're doing well and you feel like, you know, this is a good time to ask for a raise, well, it's, it's not a bad time to ask for one. Companies are making more money. It, it's not a bad time. 
But if you don't get that raise in that moment, it's not that you're never going to get it. It's just, it's not the right moment at that time. And so, you know, patience is in order. It's always a good time to look at your own finances. And, you know, as much as I talk about buying boots and coffee and all that, we have to be wise and prudent with what we've been given by the Lord, our work, and also the money that we earn. And we also have to be willing to just, you know, straight, straight talk here. If you're not spending your money wisely, you're not positioning yourself for increase in the form of, uh, you know, a raise or something like that. So take, take that look. If you, if you have a little bit of a feeling about something, whether it's something that you're purchasing or maybe it's one of your regular monthly expenses, I always call out the cable. And I know if you have cable, please don't feel like I'm condemning you. But I've, I've just seen so many exponential, what I feel like blesses, blessings connected to us cutting the cord that I'm kind of a proponent of it. Like, I just feel like if you have any budget imbalance at all, if there's any area of your life where you're like, we don't have enough money to X, cut the cord, cut your cable, put that money back into your budget and then see what happens. It's not like you can't go back. So, you know, when I say cut the cord, put, I've, I've had people like, oh, what, cut my cable off? I'm like, yeah, just try it. I will. We really need that. I'm like, well, you don't need it. It's just TV. Well, how will we watch? You can watch regular TV. Just get a digital antenna and watch regular. But how would I be able to record my shows? You could get your old VCR out and dust it off, or you could not record the shows and just watch a show when it's on. Oh my goodness. How would we? Amazon.com. That's how you get the rest of it. Or Hulu.com. I mean, there's so many options, but it's, it's, if you have lots of disposable income and you want to pay money for cable and support those people, you know, more power to you. But if you have any budget imbalance at all and you want to find someplace to cut it, that's it right there. The next one is, of course, eating out. Um, and that's something that we, you know, we do it mindlessly nowadays because there's so much available to us in the way of eating out. But you'd be surprised how you can slim down. And really, you, you, it's almost like you're, you put your whole body back into correct order when you stop eating out so often. And we've, we've been guilty of that. We, you just kind of get into a rut where someone's like, oh, I'll pick something up. Oh, I'll just pick something up. You know, anytime the schedule is out of whack at all, a little bit of planning prevents you from having to do that because you can just cook at home. And it doesn't mean you can't eat out at all. It just means you cut out a lot of that kind of during the week, last minute stuff. And then that means on the weekend, you can actually go out and eat out at a movie or eat out after church. And and so it's really about balancing things. But again, in an economy like this, where there's so many jobs, so many help wanted signs, uh, an economy in which if you have some debt or you want to save up to be able to take a, a course or something and you don't know how you can get it done, a second job can get you there within eight to 10 months. And you won't remember it. That's the thing about... When, when someone suggests, oh, you can get a, you know, get a second job, you know, you'll see people kind of the look on their faces like, how dare you suggest I get a second? Well, that used to be the, the norm. People would work two jobs until they got out of college. People would work two jobs after they got out of college. People would work two jobs in the summer as high schoolers. If you want something, then working a second job to get it shouldn't be a big deal. Because think about last year, anything you did that was hard last year. Do you think about that constantly? Is it like a burden to you that's constantly weighing you down? Or do you just think, yeah, for six months last year, I had to do such and such, and it wasn't, my, it wasn't the most fun thing. That's the human experience. We are kind of wired to, if we have to do something we don't want to do, 
it's really hard at first and then we get used to it. And then you're just like, well, I just have to do that. Or I'm just doing it. That's, that's what I find myself doing. I'm like, oh, I didn't really want to do that. Then I'm doing it. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that. In other words, I'm just doing that. Now you're not complaining about it anymore. You're just doing it. And then when it's over, you're like, oh, thank goodness. I really didn't enjoy doing that. And you think to yourself, well, I really hadn't thought about it. And then the next year, if someone asks you, did you have to do it? You're like, sure, I had to. I had it done. You hadn't thought about it again. So if you have to work two jobs to get something done, awesome, get it done. I, I, I just, in the tougher times when the recession was really hard and there weren't a lot of jobs, it was normal to hear people saying, you know, I'm, I'm working here and I'm not going to be able to get anything new right now because there aren't a lot of jobs. And so I'm just, you know, I'm biding my time. But there's the time for biding your time doing something is over because there are so many jobs. The thing that I encourage people to do the most is to get some extra job training or education because the foreigners are coming in and taking these high paying jobs because we're not graduating enough people from our colleges in the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math. We don't have enough math majors. We don't have enough technology type majors like Bachelor of Science, computer science, computer engineering. We don't have nearly enough of those. And by the same token, if you're in a career field that you like and you're, and you're in your profession and you're loving it, but you have kids, that's where it doesn't matter if you have a bent for science, technology, engineering, or math. You could be an, an English major, but you can encourage your kids in those fields by sending them to summer camps that have that, letting them watch shows about entrepreneurship like uh, Shark Tank. I know people think it's so silly, but that show can spur entrepreneurship on in your kids and in your family because you see people selling. You're like you're selling popcorn. Honestly, you're making how many millions of dollars a year selling popcorn? I kind of thought that the popcorn market was all full up. And then I watched that show and there was a lady on there selling popcorn that she was making at home until just right before she went on to Shark Tank. And that lady went on to get a deal on there. And now the popcorn is everywhere. You can find it at Sam's Club and Costco. So this is this is the country on earth to get it done. This is the land in which you could get it done the easiest as far as any land that you might be living on. This is the time frame to get it done. That idea that you've had that kind of wakes you up in the middle of the night or is the first thing you think about in the morning when you get up, now's the time to explore that and get that going in your spare time to start that business, to start that idea, to get that extra education, um, to what, whatever it is that you've been in the back of your mind, you're thinking, ah, can I get it done? There's somebody on Instagram who's getting it done, who has 79,000 followers, who do, every day all they do is post about getting that one thing done. Oh, they're out there. People are out there getting this stuff done. You don't want to look back, you know, 10 years from now, if, if, you know, God forbid, we're in another kind of low economic time or a recession and think, man, I could have already started a business and kind of made money and sold that business and I'd be pretty set right now. This is the time to store those acorns away and set yourself up for the lean times because it's cyclical and it does come and it does go. And the Bible tells us that we're supposed to mark the time. We're supposed to work and earn and save and do our best in the lean times and in the boom times to ensure that we are able to take care of ourselves during the different, you know, the different undulations of, of what's going on in our country. I feel like, you know, there's, there's people out there who have all this potential, these ideas, these different things they could be doing. And instead of doing them, they're kind of caught up listening to other people talking about how it can't be done. 
if you have someone in your life who's telling you can't, that can't be done, that's not something we can do, don't listen to that. God bless that person, but don't listen to that. Just do what you feel like you can do anyway. You know, I had a lot of people encourage me along when I was doing radio and I, I didn't have a show at all. And I would have people who would say, I had two types of people. It seemed like there were only two types of people in my life. There were people who were like, you can do anything. You need your own show. I had people tell me all the time, you need to be on Fox News. You need to have your own show on Fox. Well, I knew that was never going to happen because, A, I'm not the physical body type of a person who ends up with a show on Fox. And second of all, you have to live in New York City to have a show on Fox News. And that's never going to be me, never living in New York City. Married with kids. We're not moving somewhere so I could have a job. But in addition to people telling me that, I had so many people who said, you know, you should have your own radio show. (laughs) And I would say, how would that ever happen? Like, who's going to give me a radio show? And that's exactly what's happened. Here I am sitting talking to you. So clearly somebody thought it was an okay idea to give me a show. (laughs) So so the other type of people I had in my life were, you know, you don't need to work. You don't have to do this. If you're getting a lot of hate, you don't have to do this. You could just do what you were doing before. You don't have to do this. You're, you were fine before. Don't stretch yourself out. You don't have to do this. And they were right. I didn't have to do it. But I'm so glad that I did. And that I prayed over my work so that God could direct me in the place where he would have me to go. And so I want to encourage you If you've got this idea or this thing that you want to do, there's no better time than right now to get it done. So do it. Get it done. Pray over your work. Get it done. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with more show. Have a blessed night. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.